0: Hey, this is Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for connecting with us, and we hope this message encourages you and connects you vertically to God. Enjoy the message. You know, when you, when you win, you like to brag, and I like to brag about the fact that we have an awesome team here at Vertical Church. Can you guys put your hands together for our team I brag with a good heart, okay? Humble, humble, no pride. But we're excited about today. I don't know if you guys can hear this section over here. Can you guys hear them today? Loud. So if you didn't notice already, today we're actually doing something different. Today we're having our VSM takeover. For those of you that don't know, what VSM stands about is Vertical Student Ministry. Okay, so this is our ministry here at Vertical Church for our students both in middle and high school, and today we want to let you know, church, that our students are alive, they're serving, there's a place for them here, amen, and I'm excited to see a generation that loves Jesus, because how many adults did not have Student ministry at their church when they were kids. Come on, can I see anybody? Okay, so this is not that place. Also, times have changed. Thank God that there's a place for our kids here at VSM and at Vertical Church. Amen. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Juan. I'm a student pastor here at Vertical Church. I also lead our growth track team, which is one of my favorite teams. And I've been here for 21 years. I got to meet my wife here. I had my kids here. Pastor Verge married me here. I've practically Uh, lived here at Vertical Church. So here's a picture of my family. If you haven't seen them or met them, that is my wife, Daniela. That's Daniela. That is John Jr., who's going to be three years old next month. Three. Time goes by really fast, right? And then this is Daniel Joseph. He'll be two years old uh, in October. And so I'm so excited to see this. Like this is truly a multi-generational church. Amen. And so I just want to tell them wherever they are. They were here at first service, but I love them and they're much better than me. And so I love them so much. Man, it's great to be here today with you guys. I'm excited about this Voices series. I'm excited because you're going to get to hear about uh, different things from different people. And so for a moment, I want to pause and just honor our pastors, Pastor Verge and Jisland. Can you guys give my hand real quick? you are probably watching online right now. you are going to be back in the next couple weeks, but Not only are they amazing pastors, they're amazing people. They love God, love people, and they love the local church. Last week, we had a great message that Pastor John brought. And if you guys remember, he talked a little bit about Red Sea moments. You guys remember that? He talked about a reminder to remember. Good job, those of you that were here. Remember, I'm a student pastor. So if I wait for you to fill in the blank, help me out. If I ask you to raise your hand, raise your hand. It's what I have to do to get your kids to pay attention on Wednesday. The only thing I won't do is get off of stage, but we'll leave that just for, for Wednesdays, all right? So when I was remembering a little bit last weekend on Sunday, some of my Red Sea moments, I was thinking of some of the difficult ones, but I also remembered some of those that maybe weren't as difficult, but I wanted it to be over, right? Like all of us have lived seasons in today, in the present, where we say, gosh, I just wish it would be different. I just wish it would be different. I remember when I was in college at FIU, it was probably like 2016, 2017, and in my mind, I was dating Danny at that time. You know, we weren't married yet. I told myself, I'm ready. I'm ready to get married. I hadn't finished college. I was about three years away from graduating. I had some savings in the bank, so I was like, let's go. Like, let's do it. And then as I was getting ready to talk to her dad, junior, right, my father-in-law now, but then just my girlfriend's dad. He came up to me, and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, cool, let's talk. He's a talker, all right? Yeah, he's a talker, and so he came up to me and said, listen, I don't know why, but I have this in my heart to speak this to you, you know, to speak this this topic with you, and I said, what is it? He said, you know what? Just in case, you need to finish school. We haven't talked about it before. You need to finish college before even thinking about asking me for permission to marry my daughter." Or to marry her, so already I was like, man, it's like in-laws just they're on another level, especially the the mother in-laws like, but but that moment, like he just knew something, right? So I remember that moment thinking to myself, i didn't like his response, and I remember thinking, I just wish today would be different. I wish today would be different. I just want to get married already, finish school, school's so boring, I don't want to be in school. I remember thinking that I 'm just being honest with you. Don't judge me. Then fast forward a couple of years. We got married. We had kids. And how many of you know that with two little kids back to back at nighttime, it's not so much fun, right? Like every two to three hours, they're waking up, right, asking for food, for the bottle, or one of them wakes up the other one because he's crying. So that has been our life for the last two to three years. Again, don't judge me, but there have been moments where I thought to myself, Lord, I can't wait until this is Different until this is different. I want tomorrow to come because I want to sleep more. I'm tired. Please let them grow up a little bit sooner. I'm just exhausted, right? Just being honest with you, okay? Being honest with you, I think you guys can relate. And so I want you to think about that moment in your life. Think about a moment where you thought to yourself, man, I can't wait for today to look different. Like, I just can't wait till tomorrow comes. Maybe it's because of a season that you're living that might be good. Maybe it's a very challenging season. Maybe health is poor. Maybe finances are low. Maybe in your marriage or your family, things are not going well. Or maybe they are going well, but you just want today to look different. We're never content as people. And in a world of social media, it's very easy to not be satisfied. Think about this. When you're healthy, you still want more. When you have money in the bank, you still want more. When you don't have You're not content. You're not happy because you don't have. We're not content with the house that we live in, the apartment that we're at, where we live, whether it's in Dade, Palm Beach, South America, or Broward County. We're not content with our kids. We're always demanding more of them. Why don't you? I can't wait until you get straight A's. I can't wait. to. I mean, this is how we speak, right? I can't wait until that happens in my life because then I will be happy. Then I will be Satisfied, Then I will be content. And so here's the problem that we're talking about today, and I want you to write this down. One of our house rules, come on, BSM, don't leave me hanging, is that we are no takers. Thank God they didn't leave me hanging. So take out your notebooks. Take out your phones. This is the problem we're going to be talking about today. Your desire for a different tomorrow will never satisfy your needs for today. I need you to accept that today. Accept it. Your desire for more tomorrow, for something different, is never going to satisfy what you need today. And if you're like me, if you're human, which you are, right, we've struggled with this, all of us, including myself. And so if we don't learn to slow down, something my wife has had to teach me, to slow down, to enjoy the seasons We're going to miss everything that God has for you and I today. Write this next point down. What God wants to teach us through the process, which is today, is greater than the destination tomorrow. What God wants to teach you today is greater than tomorrow. Ask me why. Because tomorrow's coming regardless. It's coming. But if we don't learn to be content today, what makes you think tomorrow will satisfy you're today or you're tomorrow. It won't. And so God is teaching us, depend on me today. The process today is greater than tomorrow because I'm trying to teach you something. Whether it's a hard season where you feel like I'm not content, I'm not satisfied. Whether it's a good season, it's important to learn how to be content. And also because we're in different seasons, okay? I've titled this message, write this down, The Secret to Contentment. The secret to contentment. Contentment is defined, and you'll see it here on the screens, as a state of satisfaction. Like satisfied, fulfillment, content with who you are, your family dynamic, your health situation, your income, whether good, bad, etc. Being satisfied. And it'll look different for a couple of us because we're in different seasons. How many students are in the house? Middle high, can I see you? Raise your hand. Middle high. Okay, cool. How many young adults in the house? Young adults, where you at? Someone's like 40 years old raising their hands, but that's okay. That's all good, right? You can belong before you believe, so no judging, right? All right. How many parents in the house? Parents, parents with kids? All right. Uh, anybody with already grandbabies? Come on. That's like gold years, okay? Anybody retired living their best life already? Come on. Any retirees in the house? Awesome. Yeah, that's good. Okay, you saw... Oh, let me ask this next one. How many single people in the house? Come on. Okay, you saw how the amens there were, the amens were a lot lower there, right? Here's why. Because depending on the season that we're in, we attribute contentment a lot towards that. And one of the biggest ones that our culture pushes is until you have a wife, until you have a husband, until you're in a relationship, you're not full. Can't be content. Can't be satisfied. Do you see that? When I asked, few people said amen. And so I don't want you to be like me when I was dating Danny. That God was trying to teach me some great things before getting married, even as a single man. Because when tomorrow comes, because it will, you need to be prepared to be content with tomorrow. So with that being said, are you guys ready if we pray? Let's just ask God to speak to us tonight. Because he has a word for you today, amen? Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Jesus, for this church. Thank you, God, for Vertical, for this family. Thank you, God, because you're a multi-generational God. And today we see it. As we serve you across the board, from young students to adults, young adults and elders, Lord. We love you so much. I thank you because today you're speaking. I get out of the way physically, emotionally, and spiritually for you to talk today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have separated this message into two parts. Two parts that are going to help us with the secret to contentment, all right? And the, the Paul, let me rewind that. The story of Paul is the life that we're going to be studying today. Paul is actually one of the greatest people that we see in the Bible. One of the greatest leaders who did not live such a pleasant life. I would say outside of Jesus, he probably lived one of the hardest lives known to man. So I believe that the secret to being content is in Paul's life. Let's go to Acts 9. Come on, take out your Bibles, take out your phones. Chapter 9. Verses 1 to 6, verse 10, and we're also going to be looking at verse 15 to 19. So before Paul's name was Paul, you guys remember what his name was? Saul, Saul. that's right. Actually, Christ was able to change his name later on in Acts. So while you're seeing in the text Saul, we're talking about who we know now to be Paul. Verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the Way, capital W, speaking about Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Say it with me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Okay, that was weak. Let's do that again. Ready? One, two, three. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In Damascus there, verse 10, a disciple named Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Verse, fi- verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, the kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So summary, we know that today Paul, who then was Saul, hated Christians, would actually kill and persecute Christians. So much so that he would try to have proof to throw people in jail, kill them, persecute them, but then he has an encounter with God. He knocks him off his horse. He is blind for a couple of days. and Ananias comes to him, places his hand on him. Paul then gets baptized, is able to see again, and starts living for Jesus. If you don't know how important Paul has been to the local church, to the global sea church, he's been extremely important. Okay, Paul wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Some of the math geeks are like, okay, what's percentage-wise? 48%. So almost half of the New Testament was written by this guy who used to kill Christians. Think about that. I I love just that story there of redemption, how God can turn things around. And so this is what we're going to do for a moment. Right now, I want to study Paul's life because you might think, wow, well, if Paul did all that, he wrote 13 books, would start churches left and right, had so many disciples, he must have lived a great life. Eh, wrong. He lived a very challenging, painful, and excruciating, <clears throat> excuse me, excruciating life. So take a look at this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 to 28. This is Paul speaking, and he's going to be speaking here regarding all the difficulties he went through. Check this out. Are they servants of Christ, verse 23, And then he goes on to say, I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And it's not talking about eyebrow lashes, girls. It's talking about lashes literally with a whip, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods from my fellow Jews. In danger from the Gentiles, excuse me, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move, been in danger from rivers, bandits, and dangers from my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled, which means work, and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Do you guys hear his life? It's difficult. And the last portion, he says, I'm concerned about the church. That's the last thing I'd be concerned about. My wife would tell you, I don't think she's here because she already left, kids, you know, nap time. Once I start getting hungry, like, I start losing it, me, personally. And, and the church kind of laughs you know, at me about this. It's just true. I need food to function. Maybe you relate. I can't imagine Paul without food, hunger, naked, cold, backstabbed, afflicted with physical pain. Can you imagine that for a moment? This is not a made-up story. This is true life that happened. And we have manuscripts to back it up. And so maybe you're asking yourself, okay, we're talking about the secret of being content. That's what we're talking about, being satisfied. Being whole. What does that have to do with contentment? Check this out. Philippians four eleven to twelve. Here's the secret. I'm not saying this because I am in need. This is Paul speaking, by the way. If there's anyone in need, it's who? It's Paul. It's him. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, help me out, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 2 Corinthians 7:14, I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. That's strange. Strange that Paul's going through the hardest point of his life Living everything that he lived, yet he says, I know the secret. Anybody like secrets in the house? Come on, secrets, come on, be honest. All right, some of you don't want to put your hands up, but it's okay. One of the things, I, I like secrets, not with a negative connotation, like hiding something from somebody. But I feel like when you're entrusted with a secret, it's not only personal, but it's something that you have to your advantage to use. Again, in a positive way. And What, what am I getting to? God has given us a secret by studying the life of Paul regarding contentment. And I want you to listen to this. Before we talk about where the secret lies, let's talk about where contentment does not come from. Okay, being content, being satisfied. Where does it not come from, all right? Point number one, write this down. Contentment does not come from our external circumstances. That's it. Think about that. Our contentment should not and does not come From our external circumstances. Why? Because our external circumstances are always changing. You might be healthy today, but tomorrow you might not be. Today you might have a lot of money. Tomorrow you might not. Or when you do have a lot, it's not enough. Today your kids might be getting straight A's. Si, senor. Si, senora. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But as they get older, some challenges start coming their way. They start getting bullied. They start struggling with their mental health. Maybe you and your marriage, first year, honeymoon year, come on. It'll be five years in December for me. For some of you, almost 50 years, 10, 15. And as you go on in life, marriage gets hard. It gets difficult. Nobody said it wouldn't be difficult, but it's worth it, right? And so life starts changing where we have placed our contentment with what's happening happening externally. And that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the world because we should not place Our contentment in our external circumstances. Check out 1 John 2.17. Here's a good key. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here John is letting us know, hey, everything of this world passes away. That car that you really want. That position. That amount of money that you wish to have. That relationship that you just can't wait. and You keep on jumping from relationship to relationship. Everything that you want, it's going to pass away. I'm not saying these things are bad, but at the right time, we have to wait for the right time. James 1, to 2-4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Like Paul understood this. The most important thing is not the external. It's what Jesus has done. But many times we struggle placing our contentment with what's on the outside. You guys with me? All right, so we're talking about where contentment does not come from. We talked about it doesn't come from our external circumstances. Good job. And here's the second point. Contentment does not come from our own strength. This is a good one because depending on how you were raised, Hispanics, Latin America, Europe, United States, anywhere, honestly, we have been raised to live life alone, to think that we could do it on ourselves, that we don't need anybody. No, 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 don't cry, men, don't cry, that's weak. No, 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 you have to put. That's what somebody told me. I'm not going to say who. Somebody in my family. You got to put your chest forward for your whole family. Don't, don't ever let them know that you're struggling. You got to put your chest forward. Be strong for them. Do it on your own. You're the man. You're the head of the house. And so these are the things that we hear, the things that are thrown our way, but I cannot, I cannot stand that because it's so not biblical. It really isn't. You are not designed to be content in your own strength because guess what? All of us have a breaking point. We've all gotten there. I would say most of us, and if you haven't, it's coming. I'm not declaring anything over your life. No, this is just life. John 16, 33, literally, Jesus Told us in this world you will face troubles, but what? Fear not, because I've overcome the world. And so you're gonna face troubles in this world. Amen. You're gonna face troubles, but you don't have to fear. And so believing the lie that contentment comes from our own strength, it's very dangerous. Check out Second Corinthians 12:9. Man, Paul was on it. He knew something we didn't know. But he said to me, "My grace is sufficient." For you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Write down this point. Boasting in your weaknesses takes the pressure off of you and puts the pressure on God. And so by you not boasting of your weaknesses, by you not acknowledging them, being honest about it, that you're weak that you need help, Guess what happens? God can't work in you. God can't place his strength in your life if you can't acknowledge your weaknesses. And so no wonder we see families that are broken. We see people, men, women, kids, adults, students, because they've believed the lie that life is better alone, which is not true. Because you were not designed to live life alone. And so today we're talking about the secret to being what? Content To being content. Because we all struggle with it. Matter of fact, this weekend, you were struggling with it. When you got in your car, saw some houses, thought about, oh, my paycheck isn't in yet. If only I had more. So let's talk about what the actual secret is. You ready for this? The secret to contentment. Write this down. Gratitude for Jesus. That's it. I was expecting a few more amens. Let me say that again. The secret to contentment. Gratitude for Jesus. That's it right there. If you can be grateful for Jesus, you got it. That's the key. That's what Paul understood that people in our life today don't understand. He was always being grateful. In his letters, in the verses that he wrote, he would always say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to my brother who left me this, to my sister. Thank you, church. Thank you, God. We see this across the board throughout scriptures. I'll read you a couple. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians nine fifteen, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all what? Circumstances. For this is God's will for you to be in Christ Jesus. So if you ask me, Juan... Grateful for what? Why do, I have to have, why do I have to have gratitude for Jesus? For what? For what he's done. Can I ask, anybody saved today? Has anybody been saved by Jesus? Can I see Okay, that's a reason to be grateful. The fact that God has saved you. The fact that he's forgiven you. The fact that he's made you new. And the ones that are clapping their hands, they know where God has taken them out from. If I could think about where God has taken me out from, wow, Lord. You know, statistically, I only had an 18% chance to come to the feet of Jesus. There's a, a, a statistic, excuse me, out there that says, depending on who comes to the feet of Jesus in a family, you can have a greater influence or a less influence of coming with the rest of the family to Jesus. If the mom comes first, 18% of the, on the rest of the family. If a child, 22% on the rest. If a father, 94%. And so it does not surprise me as to why the enemy attacks fathers so much, thinking that they could do it alone, thinking that contentment comes from external, thinking that contentment comes from me. That's why the enemy attacks so much on the head, because if the head is missing, the sheep are scattered. This is biblical what we're talking about. And so gratitude for Jesus. I'm so thankful that he's forgiven me. I'm so thankful that he's restored me. You should be thankful because your name, if you're a Christian, is in the book of eternity. And not only eternity, John 10, 10, life in abundance on earth. Not that it would be easy, but that he's with you. You know, I was talking to Pastor Ceci. She's one of our pastors here this week. And I asked her, Pastor Ceci, you know, you've lived a lot of life. You have a lot of kids, grandkids. You've been walking this faith for a long time. What's the secret, honestly, in being grateful in Jesus? She says. Juan, I should be on my knees every day, being grateful for what he's done. And sometimes I question. It's it's hard for me to at times think that when external circumstances, when our own strength, we almost forget that we're Jesus' followers. Like we forget that contentment comes from him. And one of the best ways to be content, and the secret, which is what we're talking about today, is gratitude for Jesus. I'm not saying don't be thankful. Thankfulness is good, being thankful. You know, when they serve you, that one, they have paisa, that good food. When they surprise you, right, women with flowers, my wife loves flowers. When they surprise you, you're thankful. But thankfulness, write this down, thankfulness is a reaction, okay? So I'm not saying don't be thankful for Jesus. That's a good thing. But I think many Christians stay stuck there. I'm so thankful for what he did. Yeah, but are you grateful? Do you have gratitude? The definition of gratitude, write this down, gratitude is a chosen state of being i'm grateful when things are good when things are bad because of what he did because he's with me he doesn't change i'm still grateful i'm not saying it's going to be a walk in the park but my gratitude in jesus helps me understand that contentment does not come from anything or anyone else and you know there's a story about a student here at vsm who recently went through something very difficult And honestly, looking back, because it was very recent, I'm surprised to hear that he's still grateful for Jesus. Because if I was in his position, I can't imagine. And so instead of me telling you more about it today, I want to show you a video testimony that is going to help you with this concept of being grateful for Jesus. Take a look at this video.
1: My name is Emmanuel. I was born in Colombia and I'm 14. I came to Vertical because my family Used to come here a lot, uh, and I really liked the the preaching and the way he like gave the word. Also, loved the student ministry. The first time I came to mm-hmm. BSM, I enjoyed it a lot because Pastor Juan, he he knew how to teach you with the stuff that's going on in your life. Also, like a lot, like people around you, they're really friendly. They welcome you. Also, like that, like the leaders, they come to you. And they want to be your friend since the beginning. My relationship with God before Vertical was really strict, it was really boring because I didn't actually know how much He loved me and how much He really cared. So I really didn't enjoy coming to church, reading the Bible, talking to Him. And now that I've been connected to Vertical through the VSM stud program and by serving, I've known that. It's all about having a relationship with God, and not really just re- just religion. Like I've been enjoying mo- like a lot more coming to church. I'm the one that brings my parents now, and it's just really fun now. I'm really grateful with God because two weeks ago I was at a store just sitting down, completely normal, and I fell unconscious for two days at the hospital they told me that my heart stopped beating. When they told me what happened, I was really confused because that day I didn't do anything different. I just went to school, I went out, I just went to a store, I was just confused. And I'm really grateful with my recovery. And even though the doctors said like, they don't know what happened, they said it was a miracle. And I'm really happy because God has showed me his love through the people like my family, people at church. They have always been there for me. They have been praying for me. I've just been, even though that was bad news, I've been really strong and I've been really grateful. Can
0: you guys give him a hand? Man. If you know what happened to Emmanuel, if you've heard about it, if you knew, The pain. The challenges. I remember getting the call about a month ago, maybe three weeks to a month ago, that his heart stopped beating. He fell unconscious to the floor, blacked out. They had to do CPR, drag him to the hospital. And I remember when I visited the hospital with Pastor Kiko and seeing him with tubes, seeing him unconscious. You know, it was my first time a student pastor and honestly in these eight years of leading students having to visit a student in this condition. And it was heartbreaking because you start to love your students. I love my students here. They're my spiritual kids. I love them and I serve them with my whole life. And so as you start loving them and serving them, you care about them. And in the last year, I've seen him get so much closer to the Lord, be committed, and to see him and his family go through that, not knowing if he was going to make it out, I mean, you could imagine. The doctors, you know, after his recovery, he's here today. He's serving. I don't know if you guys saw him worshiping today with us. He's here on his feet. But the doctors were so amazed. And they said, in the last 30 years of being a doctor here, I've only seen one person come out alive out of one person they said if you believe in jesus this is what they told him this is a miracle from him you should believe just like that and so i asked myself today are we grateful truly and more than grateful are you content for a student who's 14 or 15 15 years old to live through that and say i am grateful i am content I am satisfied. Here's the last point I want you to write down, or the second to last point. Here's a reason. Jesus is the reason to be filled with gratitude for the past, present, and hope for the future. That's your reason today. If there's any reason to be filled with gratitude, it's because of Jesus. For what he's done, for what he's doing, and I know you're living through a hard time. I know you wish today would be different. I know you wish that you had more or that it looked different. But can I tell you something? Your tomorrow will never satisfy your needs of today. Never. And the key, Paul has told us the key. The key to contentment is gratitude for Jesus. That's it. There's nothing and no one else. Philippians 3, verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And I want to ask you today, is that the contentment that you have? Maybe you've been here 20 years. You've been a Christ follower 50 years, 10 years, a year. Is that your contentment? Can you truly say, My contentment comes from Jesus. Everything else, money, status, power, relationships, female, male, girl, boy, popularity, whatever it is, can you truly say that he's your contentment? Because the only thing that will not let you down is him. The only thing that won't change is him. And so today we have a reason to be grateful, to be content for what he's done, for what he's doing, and for what he's going to continue to do. You know, I have a a prop here. I think you guys see it. It's a mirror. And when I look at myself in the mirror, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, not only do we see ourselves, but there's someone else that we should see. Okay, look at yourself in the mirror. Some good-looking people. Come on. Oh, you didn't do your hair today. Oh, just kidding. All right, so you see yourself in the mirror, right? When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we shouldn't just see ourselves. Because as Christians, who do we also reflect We reflect Christ. We reflect Jesus. So I want you to write this point. Your attitude of gratitude reflects Jesus. And I would even add a lack of gratitude towards Jesus neglects Jesus and his goodness. And so I'm standing here today to say, as you look at yourself in the mirror today and ask yourself, am I content? Am I satisfied with my kids, my family, with my health? with what I'm going through, what I have, what I don't have, where I live, where I don't live. Am I satisfied? Remember that your attitude of gratitude reflects Jesus. And guess who's looking? Your kids are looking, your church family, your spouse, your family. There's no greater testimony than living life grateful for Jesus. If you can be grateful for Jesus, and that's the greatest testimony, we could walk. Let our gratefulness show that everything else is worth garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you that question today before we pray. Are you truly content with your life? And I don't want to neglect the fact that a lot of us in here are going through very hard times. I've been through some hard times. I'm sure you have too. But can I tell you something? My gratitude for Jesus, just like yours for Jesus, that's what got us through. Amen? And if we, for any reason, are here today, aren't here today, in a moment, we'll be with him tomorrow. So bow your heads one last time. Let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Thank you, Lord. Because we want our attitude of gratitude to reflect Jesus. We want to place our contentment in him, in you, in nothing and no one else. We now understand that contentment does not come from the external circumstances. Contentment does not come from our own strength contentment comes for having gratitude in Jesus and so today I pray that we would remember the biggest greatest prize that we have the secret to contentment is found in you Jesus help us live this out every day of our lives we love you we trust you and we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen. Put your hands together. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoy this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social.
1: Thanks again for listening. and God bless you.